This is session 44 of A Better Brand of Happiness, our study of the book of Philippians. And in this session, we continue to find ourselves in this paragraph that began in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and continues through Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. Now, as I have told you in previous sessions, the big idea that I have written, that I've established for this paragraph is that when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. That is my one-sentence summary of Philippians 4, 10 through 20. And um, this paragraph of Scripture, we've been working our way through verse by verse as we have uh, studied this passage together. I want to begin this morning by giving you just a very brief review and then taking a closer look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. We've spent several sessions looking at the first part of this paragraph, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, and we've seen that this topic, uh, this uh, paragraph that is, raises the topic of giving. And Paul raises the topic of giving by referring to a financial gift that he received from the Philippian believers, specifically in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul raised the topic of giving by talking about a financial donation that he had just received from the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi gathered this money together and then as a group sent it to the Apostle Paul to help him meet his needs out of concern for him and the needs that he had while he was under house arrest in Rome. After introducing the topic of giving in verse 10, Paul digressed in verses 11 through 13. It's not a complete digression. It's not a, uh, you know, like a rabbit trail. Um, it's related to the subject of money. And in those verses, in uh, really the end of verse 10 all the way through verse 13, Paul talked about the topic of contentment. Although he was grateful for the financial gift the Philippians sent him, Paul wanted them to know that he had learned how to be content even when his needs weren't met. And even when the things that someone would need financially, were lacking. And so in verses 11 through 13, Paul digressed from talking about the gift the Philippians sent him to talking about the issue of contentment. In verse 11, Paul added quickly, after thanking the Philippians for their gift in verse 10, he added in verse 11 very quickly that he was not looking for more money from them, but that God had taught him as part of his discipleship how to be content with what he had. And then in verse 12, Paul described in more detail the various situations that he had been in where God had taught him these lessons about contentment. And then in verse 13, Paul affirmed that it was the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who enabled him to be content even when he didn't have what he needed or even when he had more than what he needed. It was the power of Jesus Christ and the grace of God working through him as a disciple of Jesus Christ that enabled him to be content whether he had everything he needed or nothing at all. Now, in verse 14, we've seen in previous sessions that Paul returned then again to the gift. So in verse 11 or verse 10, Paul introduced the topic of the gift. Then he digressed for a few verses. Now in verse 14, he comes back to the gift the Philippians sent him. And he praised them for their gift in verse 14 by saying, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Then in verses 15 through 16, which we'll spend the next couple of sessions talking about, Paul reviewed the track record of the Philippians when it came to giving. The gift that Paul had received from them that he talks about in verse 10 and verse 14 was not the first time that they had sent him money. 
In fact, they had a pattern of doing this, a track record. And in verses 15 and 16, Paul reviews their track record of giving. And so that's where we find ourselves today. We're looking today at specifically at verse 15 for the most part, though we'll dip into verse 16 a little bit, to discover the history that the church of Philippi had when it, comes, when it came to sending money to the Apostle Paul. And so I want to take a moment now and look more closely at Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 are actually one long verse, one long sentence, I should say, in the Greek New Testament. The Apostle Paul has a habit of writing this way. Um, most of the gospel, most of the letters that Paul wrote contain some long, sometimes longer than this, tangled sentences where Paul strings together a lot of words and phrases. And this is one of those examples in verses 15 and 16. The main verb, the main subject and verb of this long sentence in verses 15 through 16 is this. You Philippians know. You is the subject and know is the verb. And this is how Paul begins his review of the Philippians giving to his ministry. He says, you know what I'm about to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And following that subject and verb, Paul gives two direct objects, if we talk about it grammatically. He gives two things that the Philippians know. He specifies two things that they know, and in the Greek New Testament, they are set off by the word that. These two phrases, these two things that the Philippians know are, first of all, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. That's the first object of this subject and verb, you Philippians know. The first thing the Philippians knew was that they were the only church that sent money to Paul. The second thing they knew is in verse 16. And that, uh, that tells us the second thing that they knew, and that is um, the phrase, you sent me aid more than once. That's the second thing they knew. And so Paul here, as I said, reverse, or reviews the pattern of giving that the Philippians had. They were outstanding among the churches that Paul started because they were the only church that gave to his financial needs. And they did it more than once. They sent him aid more than once in verse 16. And so these are, this is how the, the, this one long sentence of Paul breaks down grammatically. He says, you know these things, and then he tells them two things that they know. Now, before coming to the first of the two things that they know in verse 15, Paul puts together a couple of phrases. All right, and so once again, our subject and verb is, you Philippians know... But before he gets to the, thing, the first thing that they know, he has these two phrases. They are the phrase, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, that's one. And the second is, when I set out from Macedonia. These two phrases establish the time of their gifts, the, the time of their giving that they knew about. It tells the Philippians that he's going to talk about something in the past, but it's a specific thing in the past that... Um, that they were, were well aware of and that he wants to review with them. Now, most of this message is going to focus on the first of these two time elements, and that is this phrase, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. As we read that in the NIV's translation, it seems pretty straightforward. 
But the truth of the matter is that in the original language, it's a little bit less specific than the NIV's translation here. And so I want to show it to you in two different translations, and I want to compare the three of them together to kind of show you the differences in the way this phrase that's translated here in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, how they are translated in other, um, in other translations. So Philippians 4.15 in uh, the NIV, again, has this phrase, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. That's the phrase we're looking at. Another translation, the English Standard Version, which tries to adhere very strictly to the word, like it tries to give a word-by-word representation of the Greek New Testament. It translates this verse this way. As you Philippians yourselves know, or and you Philippians yourselves know, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And you've probably already noticed that there's a difference in the way this phrase is translated. In the ESV, it's translated that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning of the gospel. And as I said, the ESV tries to adhere and tries to give you one word for every word in the Greek text. And so it tries to adhere to a more strictly what some have called a literal translation of the um, original language. But what does that mean? in the beginning of the gospel. I mean, that could be interpreted in a, a few different ways. One, it could mean, if you, if you like ignore the context and you don't know anything about the New Testament at all, you might interpret that phrase, in the beginning of the gospel, to mean like when Jesus came preaching the gospel. But it can't mean that because Paul didn't know Christ then, and the Philippians for sure didn't know Christ then. It would be many years between the time of Jesus came with the beginning of the gospel before Paul received the gospel message, and before the Philippians then followed him by receiving the gospel message. So it can't mean that. It can't mean the beginning of Jesus' preaching of the gospel. A second interpretation might be that Paul is saying, in the beginning of my preaching of the gospel. And so Paul might be referring back to something about his ministry. Or the third interpretation is the one that NIV has, when the Philippians received the gospel, all right, the first one is not possible. The second, the, the second one and the third one are the possibilities we have to grapple with. And there's another translation that I don't think I've referred to in, this, in these sessions together, but it's also a good translation. It's called the New English Translation or the Net Bible. And the Net Bible is an interesting translation in a lot of ways because um, one reason why they chose the acronym Net and New English Translation is it's actually an online version of the Bible. It was, it was the scholars who collaborated on this did it on the internet. And it's actually um, got an open source license to it. So unlike the NIV, which is copyright by Zondervan, and the ESV, which is copyright by Crossway, which are two big, large companies, the Net Bible has an open um, source license. So pretty much anybody can use it. They can print copies of it without the kinds of copyright restrictions that these large corporations have. The Net Bible is a good translation in a lot of ways, but it has a different translation philosophy than either the NIV or the ESV. And notice how they translate this phrase. Verse 15 in the Net Bible says, And as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry. 
That's quite a bit different than what the NIV has in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. And so the question is, is Paul saying, when I first started preaching the gospel, you sent me money? Or is he saying, after you first received the gospel, you received, you sent me money? Now, Paul can't mean when he first literally started preaching because he didn't, the Philippians didn't come to Christ until Paul's second missionary journey. And so he'd been preaching the gospel for years before the Philippians ever heard it. But certain scholars believed, and there's good reasons to believe this, that when Paul came to Philippi, it was kind of a new era of his ministry. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you may remember that Paul and Barnabas broke up before the second missionary journey. And Paul grabbed Silas and started what we call the second missionary journey of Paul. And after visiting the churches that Paul and Barnabas had started, Paul received a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. The first place Paul went after he got this vision was Philippi, right? The very place that that received this letter from Paul, the one that gave to him. And so this is why the Net Bible translates this phrase this way. They see Paul beginning a new era of his ministry when he came to Philippi. And so the timing then of their giving, according to the Net Bible's interpretation, was when Paul started this new era, this new um, phase of his ministry of preaching the gospel. This translation is possible, but I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a good interpretation of the passage at all. I think the NIV is correct. And I, and part of the reason I think so is because following this phrase, in the beginning of your acquaintance with the gospel, we see this phrase, when I set out from Macedonia. Macedonia is a region. It's like a state, okay? Like the state of Michigan. Philippi is a city. It's like Ann Arbor in a sense, okay? So we have a region with cities in it. After Paul left Philippi, he went to a bunch of different towns and cities, including Thessalonica. All of them were still in Macedonia. But Paul says, this happened when I set out. In other words, when I left Macedonia. And so that means that Paul had been doing this new gospel thing, if that's what he's talking about. He's been doing it for quite a long time. He'd been to a bunch of different places. And so I don't think that Paul is talking about the beginning of his ministry. I think the NIV is correct when it says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. He is talking about the fact that the Philippians were new Christians when they contributed financially to his work. Paul is saying, shortly after you became Christians... You gave me money for my work. When you were mere babes in Christ and still growing in your discipleship, you started sending me money to contribute to the work that I I have. And so I think it's clear that that the phrase, in the beginning of the gospel, as it's translated uh, very um, ambiguously in um, in the ESV, I think the meaning of that is the NIV's interpretation. And one reason why I like the NIV is that scholars will work through these questions and they'll come to usually the best answer, in my experience, and they'll translate it right in so that we don't have to look at a phrase like this, the beginning of the gospel, what does that mean, and have questions about it. They help us by putting the proper interpretation of those words right into the translation. I think what Paul is saying here in Philippians 4.15 is that the Philippians started their giving early on in their Christian walk. 
that it didn't take years and years and years of them following Jesus Christ before they started sending money to Paul. In fact, they were still infants in Christ, baby Christians, when they started contributing financially to his work. So I think that's the meaning of this phrase in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. So that's our review and our closer look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. The point of this section and the reason why I spent some time really looking closely at that phrase was because I think the Philippians giving teaches, something, teaches us something really important about the matter of financial stewardship and how we contribute or don't to the Lord's work. The point of all of this is to say that the Philippians were young Christians when they started sending money to Paul to help him in the ministry. And their giving, I think, and the re one reason why I think Paul rehearsed their giving, because they already knew it, and he says you know it. Why did Paul put it in ink? Because he knew that this letter would be distributed to others, including us, because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was the Word of God. And he wanted to use their pattern of giving to teach us something really important about money and its relationship to us and to the gospel message. And so that brings me to my big idea for this particular message, which is this. Start investing in God's work as early as you can. That's what the Philippians did. They were still baby Christians when they started giving to Paul. And their example is, something that you and I should follow as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning, the moments that we have left, talking about why I think this is important. And I want to do so by borrowing from the idea of personal finance. And there's a good reason why I do this, because Paul uses language of finance here in this passage, which I'll show you in a minute. But if you do any reading at all about personal finance, whether it's a book that you pick up on how to manage your finances well, written by a secular author or a Christian author, or whether it's something you watch on or read online on a website, or if, it's, if you take Financial Peace University, any, almost anything you look at in terms of information on handling your personal finances will talk to you very quickly about the concept of compound interest or compounding. Sometimes it is even called the magic of compound interest. And you might be interested in later on today or sometime in the next few days, Googling that phrase, the magic of compound interest. Because there aren't that many places where you can actually put money and earn interest these days, the same concept is also applied to investing. And so sometimes it's just called compounding. And the point is the returns you get in investing can compound over time as well. And so if you invest in the stock market and the stock market goes up and you leave your money in the market, your gains can compound. The point of compounding is that as you, you start with money you earn somewhere else and you put it into it, some kind of investment vehicle and it earns interest, and then as that interest stays in that investment, if it keeps growing, your interest earns interest so that you are accumulating money faster than you would merely by saving the, your income from other sources. Now, I put a couple of links, actually several links, into the app, into today's notes about the principle of compounding. And so you can click on those notes and read away to your heart's content 
about this important financial concept if you like. But I want to walk you through one scenario that kind of shows visually the power of compounding. And then we'll bring it back to our passage and talk about what it means for us. All right, so let's, let's uh, posit that uh, two, two people grew up and entered the workforce. All right, we'll call them Jack and Jill. And we'll say that they are fraternal twins, all right? So they're brother and sister. They're the same age. At age 25, they entered the workforce. And Jack saved nothing. He spent every dollar he made from his job. But Jill took $25 a month and saved it and put it in some kind of investment vehicle that earned her, on average, 7%. And so she started doing this at age 25. At age 30, five years later, she got a raise. And so she moved from giving or putting 25%, $25, I should say, a month into this investment vehicle. She raised her contribution to $100 a month and then still received that same 7% interest or, uh, or um, growth. Jack sees what his sister is doing, and he's 30 years old now, and so he's starting to think about, hey, you know, I should probably prepare for the future in some way. And so he follows her lead and does the exact same thing she does. He takes $100 a month and invests it in the same vehicles that his sister uses, also earning 7% on his money. And these two people do this from the time that they are 30 years old all the way through the rest of their adult life until they reach age 67. Why age 67? I don't know why. But the scenario that I adapted this from uses age 67, and so that's what I'm going with as well. They retired at age 67, so how much money do they have? Jack has $264,689.70. Not bad. Jill started five years earlier, but she only had $25 a month to invest. So how much further could she really be ahead? The answer is quite a bit. Why? Because of the miracle of compounding. Jill had $294,213.07. Or in other words, she was more than $3,000 ahead, $30,000 ahead, if my math is correct, and it rarely is. And so even if my numbers are wrong here, all of those links I provided to you and anything else you search on compounding interest will show you different scenarios like this with different interest rates and different amounts. But the point of them all is the same. Even if my math is wrong, the principle is correct, which is this. The earlier you start, the more compounding works in your favor so that someone who tries, in some, in some of these scenarios, someone who starts later but puts more in never catches up to the person who started when they were younger. And so the point of compounding, the, the most important principle to learn from personal finance when it comes to compounding is this. Start as early as possible and leave your money in. And compounding will work better in your favor that way. The point of this lesson is that compound interest or compounding works best the younger you start 
Now let's take this principle from personal finance and let's bring it into the scriptural realm and let's talk about our faith in Jesus Christ. God says that money, the money that you and I earn in this world, that is given to his work through tithes and offerings, is actually invested spiritually in the kingdom of God. And I could spend a long time showing you verse after verse after verse that states this principle. Here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul described the money that the Philippians sent to him, money that he was going to spend on renting a house and providing food for himself. Paul says that that money is like an investment. And in fact, some of the wording, and I've shown you this before, but we'll dip into it again. Some of the wording in this very passage, Philippians 4, uses that those concepts, those words from the financial marketplace. In verse 14, look at verse 14 with me again. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. The word share was used in the secular world during the time of Paul to talk about business partnerships. Paul says, when you sent me money, it's almost like you bought shares in my work for the gospel by sharing in my trouble. Notice in verse 15, the verse we've been looking at today, Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. That phrase, giving and receiving, also comes from the secular financial marketplace. It's similar to our wording, credit and debit, all right, which you understand from basic accounting principles. Paul uses these terms from the secular financial world and applies them to the money the Philippians sent him so that he could eat and have a place to live while he was incarcerated waiting trial in Rome. And the point of all of this is to, to see that Paul considered the money that the Philippians sent him not like a charitable gift, but rather as an investment in the gospel ministry. Think about this. When you give something to charity, when you hand somebody money who asks you for money because they're poor, you don't expect a dividend, a return from that person ever, right? You just give it away and it's gone. You don't have it anymore. If you make a contribution to a charitable, uh, charitable organization, you don't expect that organization to give you back that money with compound interest. It's a gift. It's just gone. The Bible could use that same kind of terminology to talk about the money the Philippians sent to him because it was consumed. Paul used it to pay for his daily living expenses. And yet, Paul did not say, this is a gift, and it's consumed and it no longer exists. Paul borrows these, these words from the secular financial marketplace and applies them to the gift the Philippians gave to teach them and us an important principle about financial stewardship and about giving to the Lord's work. And the, the important principle that he wants to teach us is this, that when we give financially to God's work, we should expect compound interest spiritually in the kingdom of God. That when you give to God's word, God keeps track of what you have given. And he promises rewards, not financial rewards in this life, but spiritual rewards in eternity. 
And Paul comes to this in verse 17. Let's dip into that. Look at verse 17. Paul there says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Who's doing the crediting? God is. And what account is Paul talking about? He's talking about their account as Christians, that when they stand before Jesus Christ, the judge of all the earth, at the judgment seat of Christ, and they receive an evaluation from Christ about the lives that they have lived on this earth. Paul says, God is going to come back to this gift that you sent, and he's going to reward you in a compounding way accordingly. That word translated credited in verse 17, where it says, I desire that more be credited to your account. That word credited means to increase, to accumulate, to multiply. It's very similar to the idea of compounding. And as we've just seen here in Philippians, the Philippians were investing in in Paul's work from the very early days of their walk with Jesus Christ. That's the point of that phrase that I spent time talking about in verse 15, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. The Philippians started this. They opened their account, so to speak, with the Apostle Paul. When they were just baby Christians. And so like compound interest that works best when you start young, so in the kingdom of God and in the accounting of God's kingdom, it's best to start out as young, as young as possible. The Philippians served the same God that you and I serve and worship. They were saved by the same atonement of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins and for ours. They were saved by the same grace of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And they were contributing by their gift to the Apostle Paul to the same kingdom that God is building then and now, by saving people out of the darkness of sin and into eternal life through Jesus Christ. The money that they used was different. The circumstances were different. But it's the same Lord, the same Christ, the same kingdom, and the same principle. Our God commands us to give. It's not an option. It's not like when you start a new job and they say, hey, would you like to contribute to the 401k or not? No. As a disciple of Christ, we're commanded to give to God's work as an act of faith and as part of our discipleship. But here's the immense grace of God. The same God who commands us to give to his work also promises future, eternal, spiritual dividends to those who by faith believe his commands, and obediently give to his work. God in his grace promises to us financial rewards in the kingdom of God, in eternity, for our financial contributions to his work through tithes and offerings in this life. And so that means you should give, you should tithe, and you should do so as soon as possible. If you're not already doing it, you should start immediately. And so if you don't tithe, what exactly are you waiting for? 
If you're waiting until you're a stronger Christian and think that tithing is something that happens to mature people, that's not what happened in Philippi. The Philippians started giving to Paul's work when they were just baby Christians. So if you wait until you're a stronger, more mature Christian, you are missing out on the opportunity to invest in eternity, reaping eternal compound interest in the kingdom of God. Or if you're waiting until you have more income, you're missing out on the opportunity to invest in eternity, reaping eternal rewards in the kingdom of God with compound interest. Or if you're waiting until you get out of debt or buy your first home or see your kids graduate from college and you think, after I hit one of these milestones, then I'll start giving and tithing to God's work. You could do that, I suppose, but you're more like Jack than Jill. You're missing out on the miracle of compound interest in the kingdom of God. And so when I say that the big idea for this message is start investing in God's work as early as you can, that's what I mean. If you're a child or a teenager, the time to learn how to tithe is right now. It's time to build this as a habit in your life, just as you are building the habits, hopefully, of Bible study and prayer. You should learn to tithe now and make it part of your discipleship. Not only because it's a good discipline that will carry with you into the future, but because, just like the miracle of compound interest, the earlier you start, the more is credited to your account in the future. If you're not a child, if you're an adult, and you're not giving, and you're waiting for something to happen, let me challenge you to reprioritize your finances. If you wait until the future to give, first of all, you probably won't ever start giving because there will always be some other reason. But secondly, you will miss out on the compounding effect that Paul describes in this passage of Scripture. And so I want to encourage you to start investing in God's work as early as possible today. This is a better brand of happiness because it's an investment that's guaranteed by the Almighty God, an investment whose dividends last for eternity, and unlike the stock market, which can go up or down, this is backed by the power of the omnipotent God who says, I will reward you with compound interest in the future. Furthermore, the dividends that God promises in the future are spiritual. They're, they're spiritual joys that last forever. They're not the materialistic joys that we get from things that we buy in this life and give us a little pleasure for a while and then they become old, they become you know, boring, we look for a new jolt. God provides, and what God promises to those who invest in his work is eternal pleasures at his right hand. This is a better brand of happiness. So start giving as soon as you can to God's work.